Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, January 30th, 2022. The share ID numbers for Friday, January 28th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,476. That's 18476. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,478. That's 18478. This morning, A Vision for You presents Living the Dream. When we hit bottom and are sick and tired of being sick and tired, we are ready and willing to go to any lengths. When we admit that by ourselves we are powerless, change is possible. We have proven to ourselves with countless vain attempts that we cannot solve our problem alone. We come to Overeaters Anonymous looking for a way out, looking for a way out of the hell, looking for a solution which will free us from the bondage of compulsive overeating and all of its pain and suffering. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening. Their real advantage is that they are a specific method for producing a personal transformation sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. By implementing and completing steps one through nine, we have been transformed. When we finish step nine, we experience the promises. We have recovered. The channel of grace in us is cleared. The sunlight of the spirit deep down inside us is allowed to shine up and through us. We continue to live in steps 10, 11, and 12. We are given a new life, a restored life, a rehabilitated life. We are indeed living the dream. Joining us today is Susan G., a recovered compulsive overeater from Los Angeles, California. Susan is dedicated to our 12-step program and is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous. She's here to share her experience, strength, and hope with all of us today. And it's with great appreciation that I welcome Susan G. to the line. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Um, Good thing I brought a box of tissues over to the table with me. Um, Everything you read was so beautiful. Thank you so much for inviting me here today. Good morning to everybody from Los Angeles, where it is 5.33 and very dark outside. My name is Susan. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, here we go. I have my big book in front of me, and that is, that is it. And God will give me the words that one of you needs to hear. Some of you I know very well. Some of you I haven't met yet, and I look forward to the day that I do. As Leah was speaking, I was taken to the forewords, um, 
and the forward to the third edition says each day somewhere in the world recovery begins when one alcoholic talks with another alcoholic. You are the first alcoholics I'm speaking to, compulsive overreaches this morning. You are in fact the first people I'm speaking to. And it tells me that what I'm to do today is to share my experience, which a lot of my experience was in the problem, my strength, which today is in the solution, and hope. So hope for my future and yours. And it also tells me further on in the forward to the forward to the fourth edition to speak the language of the heart in all its power and simplicity. Um, and everything I need is here. So I did not come to these rooms to be given the freedom from the pain and suffering from compulsive overeating. I didn't even know the word. I knew I was physically in pain. I weighed 250 pounds. Um, today I'm in a normal size body. I have released through God's grace over 100 pounds. I don't say how much because as a woman I know that people compare and despair and it's actually irrelevant. All that matters is that everything is working, I'm in good health, and more importantly than that, in fit spiritual condition. Um, so this morning when I woke up, as a friend would say, at oh dark hundred hours, I still read on awakening and I still prayed and meditated. So let's get going. I hope you have your coffee, I have my cup of tea. And you will hear, as you hear with all the speakers on a special edition, which by the way, I listen to on Monday mornings when I'm doing my makeup, um, you'll hear the progression of my story. Um, I can remember sneaking food actually at four years old. I grew up in a very tumultuous, loud household, which had mental illness and just lots of fun things going on. Plates were thrown, all sorts of stuff. These are not the reasons that I am a compulsive overeater or ever was or you know would be in the future. Um, I do believe I was just born feeling a little different about food and knew at four years old when it was loud to shove something in my mouth. And even more stunning, but not to us, is when I was asked if I had eaten it, I lied. So there was already something I knew that I shouldn't be doing. Um, I was always on a diet. My mom was either anorexic or morbidly obese. And we lived our lives dieting. I was very, very young, but there was always a prize at the end of it. I was a child who was dropped off at the birthday parties with the parents saying over their head, no, no, cake, no cake for her. And I learned very quickly to be a helper in the kitchen. And what can you do when you're in the kitchen? You can lick and pick from other people's faces. And if you're a gutter drunk like I am with food, some of the things I will say won't be disturbing to you. Um, people on the outside would find my eating behaviors disturbing, but I know here I'm among a fellowship who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and nobody is shaking their head. And if we were on Zoom right now and I'm showing my photos and you're seeing me today, I find that people tend to lean in. Um, and it also reminds me on page 124 why I share my experience, because Henry Ford says, that experience is a thing of supreme value in life. However, this is me paraphrasing, that is only true if one is willing to turn the past to good account. It also tells me further down that showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. 
With it, you can avert death and misery for them. So that's one of the reasons why I'm here this morning, so that somebody who is suffering perhaps will hear a syllable. Somebody who knows me might think I said something fabulous. We will see. Um, so I grew up in England, in London, in northwest London. If anybody's here, they'll know, off of the northern line in a place called Hendon. Um, my food was definitely managed and controlled living at home, and we didn't have drive throughs There are no room for drive throughs on the streets of London. And the grocery shops when I grew up were closed on a Sunday. So not a lot of binging went on. There was a lot of sneaking, like little bits here and there. And my weight stayed at, you know, it didn't get to the point where it got to when I moved to America and wasn't being watched. Um, once I started going to work, things really started to progress. And like you, I will eat over anything. I have naturally curly hair. It's very humid in the UK. I like to straighten my hair. Why all the men on the line are thinking, why is she telling us this? Who cares? Because here's where I get so easily disturbed. I leave the house. I walk to the, the train station, right? I'm not going to eat no matter what. In fact, I probably won't eat until lunchtime. And then when I come home at dinner, I'll just tell everybody that I'm, I'm not having anything because I'm slimming. I get to the train, my hair's already frizzed, I get out of the other end, and it's over. I see my hair, there's a reflection, and I'm off to the races, and I eat all day, right? I have no defense, no defense whatsoever. My hand is back on that hot stove, and I don't understand that I have a spiritual malady. There is nobody around me speaking this way. Obviously, I know there is OA in the UK today, but I believe that God launched a search and rescue and brought me here to America to be here with all of you. So today I know that at a very long age, I lost the power of choice in drink. And I never had sufficient force, let alone a week or a month. How about a nanosecond? So I moved to America. I had an incredible opportunity and I have a beautiful life today. Um, I really, really do. Um, but it wasn't always that way when I first came because I expected to come off the plane and everybody was going to look like they did in the shows that I watched, which were not Landing, Dallas, I think, no, Melrose Place wasn't on yet, oh, Falcon Crest was the one. And lo and behold, they didn't. And lo and behold, I got off the runway at LAX when they were redoing it for the Olympics. It was hotter than anything I'd felt in my life. My mouth was full of canker sores because I had done the Beverly Hills diet. Why wouldn't you? And it was pineapple day. Normal eaters would have a few bits of pineapple. Do you know how many pineapples I had cut up on that plane? I can't tell you the exact amount, but it was a 12-hour flight. Um, so I came here and my life began and things looked good from the outside. I got a job legal. Today I'm a dual citizen. Everything looked like it was on the up and up, but people would always say, Susan, if you would only stop, drink, stop drinking, stop eating, this would happen, that would happen. And most importantly, the promise always was, you can get any guy that you want. I don't know that that is actually the truth today, even in a thin body, because when I used to have my vision boards and George Clooney was in the middle, clearly that did not work today. Um, so I came here, I got a job, everything, and wow, Los Angeles, here it is in all its glory. There are drive-throughs on every single corner. 
you learn to practice very, very quickly how to drive with your knees. People would always say to me, Susan, I never see you eat. So just like Bill Wilson, I thought I had arrived. Love, applause, I was the girl in town. This was it. She'd come here from London, listen to her accent. Isn't she sweet? Isn't she this? It took me at least five years to make a real friend here. So when Bill's standing at that graveside and he said he was very lonely, we know that's the window into his soul. And I can tell you honestly, I was lonely here for a long time. So I've tried all the methods that everybody has and every single one that I did, and I've lost 100 pounds, I don't even know how many times, but probably more than 10. And it took me from 1982, I now have 22 years, but I didn't come back in until 1998. And when I say come back in, what I mean is I didn't firmly put my bum in the chair build a solid foundation and take the hand of another and stop talking. I'm a chatterbox as it is, so it was hard to be told to be quiet. And I lived in the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next day, every single day. The courage to do battle was not there. That was rare. That was rare because you, all you have to do at the time, all I had to do was go to the Sunday Times, and there it was, new diet of the week, call this one, call that one. So I've done everything that you have done. And two things I just want to mention. I did consider having the surgery that a lot of people have. And at that time, they didn't do psychological evaluations or anything, nothing, just blood work, way in, way out. And one more time, God showed up for me. The day that I weighed in, I weighed 248 pounds, which for my height at just over 5'7", is not classified by the medical companies back then as being 100 pounds overweight. I was restless, irritable, discontent. That's, I can't even begin to tell you the conversation I had with the lady from the insurance company when she told me I couldn't have the surgery. I was not a pleasant girl. Again, today I see that God saved me. And one other thing that I did, and any of you who hear me talk have heard me say this, and I believe there's one other person who I've heard say this, I was willing to go to any length, any length to get thin. I had a willingness. I never knew how to stay stopped. Never, ever knew who would tell me to go and pray and meditate. They did when I worked on an ashram for a week and cleaned their toilets and ate their food and tried to pretend I was doing what they did. But all I thought about was, how can I get to that corner shop down the street? It was in Florida somewhere, and it was so hot, and it was humid, and I remember I was sweating. And one more time, my thighs were probably rubbing together and bleeding again, right? Those are some of the fatalities. And as we hear all the time, this is permanent, progressive, and fatal. So I worked with a girl who told me that she had a next-door neighbor who was a dentist. And her sister had one time had her jaw wired shut. And it's a really good idea because you don't eat and you can get thin. I always went for what you thought was a good idea. Somebody once gave me cocaine and told me that was a good idea until I told somebody else I was doing that. And she said, Susan, they'll revoke your green card. You'll be deported and you will never come back to America. I'm not a good drug addict. Luckily, again, God's showing up for me. I had nosebleeds on the first day. So back to my jaw being wired shut. I go to this dentist's house. 
I take $300 cash, which is in the early 90s. Oh, no, probably was still in the 80s, and it was a lot of money for me, and I always lived beyond my means when it came to food. Always lived beyond my means. It never, ever mattered how much I made, what I didn't make, because in America, I discovered credit cards. Oh, you have to pay them back? Oh, so every time I buy a new wardrobe because I've lost weight again, I have to pay that money back. So here I am now mixing food and a sedative, right? Bill tells me that he found himself drinking both gin and sedatives. So let's just look at my sedative, something that will, a sedative calms you down, right? So you would think that having your jaw wired shut would stop you. I left his house hysterical. I drove myself, P.S., right? Like every good addict, I don't listen to all the directions at the time. So there I am, numbed out and high, and I'm driving. And I'm annoyed at this man, right? My own self-will took me there, and I'm annoyed at him. So with my jaw wired shut, you cannot move your mouth. I maintained 250 pounds for three months. So that's how I know that I am of the hopeless sort. I know that every single page in this book I can identify with, even all the way to the stories, all the way in the back, and I love reading some of the stories. So I went on my merry way, and God intervened one more time, which happened before I had my jaw wired shut, and I used to go to a gym where big people were very welcome. I'm not advertising because it doesn't exist anymore. And it was a gym that belonged to Richard Simmons. And it was very, very fun, you know, dancing away, doing your thing. And at the time, I happened to be one of the smaller people in there. And there was my Abby. And I have a lovely story to tell you with this. So this lady called Stacy was a teacher there. And our family friends who I came to live with, she worked in sales there. And I didn't have a car at the time. And so we're going to go to this meeting you're coming with. I don't even remember if she said Overeaters Anonymous, but I got to this room, which was the OA office in Los Angeles at the time on Derby, on Reseda. It was in an area called Reseda, which was much nicer back then. And it was a room filled with people, probably at the time over 100, and meeting for two hours long, hugging and laughing. They were happy, joyous, and free. And I did not understand what was going on. And being very righteous and judgmental, I did not want to understand what was going on. So I folded my arms and decided that I hated it. Better to go in the garden and eat worms. And I sat there and the seed was planted. Something happened. I never saw this woman again. Probably stopped going to the gym. I didn't have a car. Lisa may have stopped working there. I honestly don't remember. One time I was speaking in Beverly Hills about 10 years ago and I mentioned her name and somebody said to me, she still comes. I said, oh, okay, I wouldn't have recognized her in a month of Sundays. Last Tuesday night I was speaking at a meeting in Los Angeles. And let me add here that one of my sponsee's best friends in the room since she was 20, her name is Stacy. Well, there's plenty of Stacys in the world, right? Plenty of Susans. Melissa's, Jennifer's, all these names, right? We hear them all, all the time. And I started to tell the story about my Abby. And the man who had told me that Stacy still came, his little Hollywood square on Zoom was next to mine, and he said, she comes here. And my sponsor wrote to me in the chat, breaking all the rules of chat. 
near the end and she said she has a service position here. And my heart started to pound. And as I was finishing the closing, she wrote to me and she said, Susan, I'm Stacy. And I broke the rules again. And before I went on to the next piece of the secretary's announcement, I thanked her for saving my life. She had been on my journey this whole way because she's best friends with one of my sponsees. I had just never met her. I never saw her again. And she lives in San Diego and I will see her. So there's where the age of miracles never ever stops, right? I finally got to thank her publicly, doing for me what I thought at the time I hated. But I put my hand in hers, which was already in the hand of God. And one more time, there was that proven workable method showing me something that I could never do alone. If you see my pictures, you know I cannot do this alone. On, in the back of the book, there's a story called My Chance to Live. And this is me. On page 312 in the full second paragraph, it says, it never occurred to me that I couldn't stop. Every day I concocted some new method of staying sober. Tells me how I won't dress, what I won't do. I've already told you some of those things. One more time, it says it didn't work. Nobody ever leaves these rooms and comes back to a meeting and says to me, Susan, I found Nirvana. Let's go. I have found the way. They come back in like I did, in and out for all of those years. Because by the way, when I was feeling really lost and alone, I would go back to a meeting with my arms folded and sat in the back of the room tells me to be willing and honest from the very start. At least I was honest that I didn't want to be there. So fast forward to, you know, I'm not going to give you all of the stories, but, you know, it talks about and more about alcoholism. We've got Jim and Fred, and I'm a lot more like Jim, and I made a beginning like he did, unbeknownst to me. I did incorporate some meditation into my life, and everywhere I went in Los Angeles, from my jobs to my social community, somebody was in a 12-step program. I don't know if it's like that way where you live. If you've been out here, it is definitely that way. I could not escape you people even if I tried. You kept on offering me a hand into the lifeboat, but Susan was much too busy. It took a long time for me to be faced with alcoholic destruction because it says, Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. It took many years, right? But we never, ever give up on each other. So where do I want to go from here? So I kept coming in and out of the rooms. I worked with a girl in a law firm, one of the first real jobs I had here. And every Monday, we would all eat our lunch together. And one day, it was just her. And she was this beautiful girl from Dallas, Texas. And she was wearing this lovely St. John outfit. We used to wear suits to work. And I was complaining for a change. And she said to me, Susan, they have meetings for people like you. So I told her I had been, and they didn't work because I'm like Jim. I've seen things, right? I'm not like Fred. I know. I made a beginning. And one thing, just to backpedal what I was going to tell you about Jim, I didn't lose an automobile business, but I just want to show you the humiliation. I flew home from a trip to the UK. I was 
it was for my 30th birthday and for a family event. I had to buy a dress for a black tie event from a store in Beverly Hills called The Forgotten Woman. There was no designers making clothes at the time. It was a very big event in our home. And I was always resent, always, not always, I'm not anymore. At the time, for many years, I was very resentful that this event had to be held on my birthday. I was selfish, self-centered, and would even run over my siblings. It was a big event. The way this particular calendar fell, this event had to be on this particular weekend. So I went there really angry. And when I came home, I didn't have to do it on the way there. So this tells you how much I ate. I was gone for two weeks. The seatbelt didn't fit me. So in two weeks, a seatbelt that I'm sure was a tight squeeze on the way out. I've probably been slimming just a little bit to see my family. I probably lost three pounds. Um, I couldn't, couldn't put the seatbelt on. Talk about horror and remorse, right? That bitter morass of self-pity, but I still wasn't ready to hear what you had to say. I didn't know that in this opinion, in the doctor's opinion, it's going to be repeated over and over unless you, Susan, can have an entire psychic change. There's very little hope of your recovery. So I pressed the button for the air stewardess. I said, I can't do my seatbelt up. And I will tell you, thinking back, I think I thought she would move me to another seat because I thought for sure the seatbelt was too small. Because how could this have happened, right? To put clothes in the dryer, they don't fit. Never ever occurred to me that I had done something wrong. I never knew that I was allergic to certain foods. I couldn't eat them and I needed to stay stopped. So she comes up, sitting quite far back in a very big plane. And she yells out, seat belt extender on whatever seat. For as good as my memory is, I don't remember the seat. I cried all the way home to Los Angeles. And I can tell you, even as I tell you some of these stories, the humility and the pain are what keep me coming back. When I hear other people, that identification, I never want to feel that way again. But I know that I can't do this alone. Where are we here, Susan? You are no longer a me. You made a decision, finally. So I came back, and you would think, well, maybe she didn't have a great day like Fred did in D.C. I suppose he thought he deserved something. But no, I was sitting, feeling bitter and angry, so I suddenly crossed that threshold, got off the plane, got picked up, dropped home, and what do you think I did? I went out in my car, and I started eating again started eating again. I had no defense, nor do I today. So, you know, all these people who stopped by my hospital bed, as it were, to talk to me, it just didn't help. I too had knowledge that there was something wrong, because I'd never heard the word food addict, compulsive overeater. Once you start, you can't stop. You have a spiritual malady. So fast forward to this law firm in Glendale, California, eating my lunch with Annie. And she says to me, you know, Susan, they have meetings for people like you. And I started to sweat. And she told me, and here again, God shows up. Here's this beautiful girl who looked to me like she didn't have a care in the world. She said, I'm an alcoholic and I go to AA. She said, and I'm happy to take you to a meeting. I didn't want to disappoint the pretty blonde girl. 
I did, again, have to justify, and I said, I've been, it doesn't actually work. We said, really, have you had a sponsor? Silence. Have you worked through the steps? I didn't even know what the steps were. I said, well, I, I'm not sure. She said, you would know if you had. Why don't we find a meeting? Do you have a directory? Because everything was printed at the time. This is how interesting this is. How I didn't want to be here, but I did have a directory in my bag. So Annie and I went to a meeting in Santa Monica, and I tried to smile and be happy because she was taking me. Somebody offered to sponsor me that day. I don't remember her name, thank God, because if you're on the line, I apologize. I never called you. I never called. So 1998 comes along. Let's get to this fabulous solution and how I do live the dream today, which I really do, because I've been taken to a place where I never, ever thought I would be, and it's been so much bigger and better than the size of my clothes. You know, to tell you as we start to go through about my relationships in and out of these rooms, the jobs I've been afforded, the relationship I was able to slightly form with my schizophrenic mother before she died. That's the joy of living today that talks about in step 12 in the AA 12 and 12. So yet she gets drunk one more time. And all of those eyes in that chapter on page 36, they're all me, and my knowledge doesn't help, right? I never had any intention of drinking. I'm just going to help you in your, ki in your kitchen, just that one little bite. So I go home one more time. Pain is the touchstone, and sometimes being around my family was. So another family event, people. Another family event, which finally crushes Susan and brings her to her knees. I go to my sister's wedding, who she's also one of us, and we hadn't been speaking for a while, and my dad suggested very strongly that I come to this wedding. Suggested very, very strongly, and I, I went. And my dad says something to me, even at my age I am now, I still do it. Um, so I go to England, and nightmare. I've been slimming again. By the time the dress comes, I don't have any diuretics on me that day in England nothing and I start yelling and shouting at my dad I put too much salt in my food I'm walking like a crazy person on his treadmill thank god I bought something to hold me in and there I was crossing that threshold one more time I couldn't stay stopped to the day of the wedding to get into my dress I go to the wedding and I had my last binge I ate most of my sister's wedding cake from the back. We're lucky it didn't fall down. And something happened to me that day. I don't know what, because none of you were there. I knew that this insanity had to be stopped. Two days later, I was leaving on the plane, and God spoke to me one more time. This time he showed up on a megaphone in Heathrow Airport. Would any passengers like a $300 gift voucher and stay another day. My dad said, stay. And I'm thinking, you're driving me totally mashug. I am not staying here for one more second. However, I'd made a decision that I was going to make a phone call to get a sponsor. The insanity had turned a corner. It had turned a corner. There was no more concocting. There was no more nothing. It was my frightful day. It was the curve of my declining morale and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. 
So I said, I have to get back. I did lie. I said, I have some doctor's appointments. Made all my amends to my dad, so it's okay. So here I was, and I did have no more courage to do any battle. I was waving my white flag. There's a man out here in California, we call him White Flag Walter. And he, when he speaks in person, he has a white flag behind him. And that's where I was, right? I pitched my flag on the moon and I was done. I, didn't, I just couldn't be against the bar anymore. So I got on that plane, I came back. I still did have a smidge of a lurking notion and there was still a little mental twist because I didn't get a sponsor in California. I got one in uh, Fort Lauderdale because my friend who had taken me to Richard Simmons' gym and I got in her car, a family friend, she'd moved there. And she had found OA through something out the East Coast, 90 days rooms. So whatever she was doing, I was definitely going to do. At first, I just asked her for her food plan and she wouldn't give it to me. I said, okay. So I called this woman, actually, not called, I stalked her. Hold on, I'm just taking a sip of my tea. I stalked her. I left many, many messages on her machine. She'd been out of town and she called me back and I clearly remember it was around four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I was in my first townhouse on my rotary phone. There I was. Actually, it probably had buttons by that time. It wasn't rotary. I'm not that archaic. And she called me back, and the first thing she said is, I don't really know how this will work because I'm in Florida. You would have to call me very early in the morning. So I said, I can do it. And she said, I want you to call me. After I cried for her for two hours, she said, I want you to call me five days a week at 4.45 in the morning. And she told me the requirements to work with her. She told me that I was not to call her yawning and rolling over in bed. I was to have done my prayer and meditation and any writing or anything that she had asked of me was to be done. If I called more than five minutes late, she would not answer the phone. If you know me, I am never ever late. So she was not giving me any kind of a test that this girl could not pass, as many alcoholics couldn't, or food addicts in our case. So... Then here it comes one more time, and this is where my spiritual awakening finally began, finally. She said to me, Susan, can you let me know what you're going to have for your dinner? Because at the time I used to commit my food. And I can remember this chill going through me. And what is she asking of me on a Sunday night? And one more time, and this is when God said to me, Susan, we're done. It's now or never. You are at this turning point. If you turn down this gift, Herb K always says, listen to the invitation. So 4.45 in the morning might not sound like an invitation, but again, here was this woman willing. She was willing. She had once weighed 350 pounds. She had 15 years at the time. And this lovely lady, Bonnie, was my sponsor for two years. So she said to me that question, what are you going to have for dinner? And somehow... Even though I did answer back, I said, well, I actually, I was going to start in the morning. Who starts a diet? See, I didn't even know what this was. Who starts a diet on a Sunday night? My spiritual journey began on that Sunday night when she said to me, Susan, if you don't commit your food to me tonight, you will not call me in the morning. And those chill and those vapors that they talk about in the big book, I felt them. I felt them. 
So there was another knock at my door, right, from another sober person. Look how many sober people came knocking at my door. And when it was just a slight tap and I was ready to tune into God, I heard it. I heard it that night. And that was the end of any lying. That was the beginning of step one. The principle of step one is honesty. And I would tell you, I wasn't a liar. I didn't lie. Yes, I did. I lied. I cheated. I stealed. I did all kinds of stuff. So I started calling her. I started to do the work. I will say it was much more food-oriented at the time, and that's okay. It gave me a very firm foundation. I lost my weight. Everybody in California started to look so lovely. All of those people in the rooms who I dislike are suddenly becoming my friends. I'm going to their homes. They're coming to mine. The light was returning to my eyes, more than importantly to my soul. God was starting to rewire my heart. I was starting to have an emotional rearrangement. I was starting to understand that I'm one of these allergic types who can never safely use X, Y, and Z, whatever works for you. I got to understand what frothy emotional appeal means. It means that, Susan, every time you get thin, however many men you date, however much money you spend, if you get a new house, if you get a new car, it will not help you stay stopped. I did not know that the purpose of these 12 steps was to build a relationship with a power greater than myself, who I choose to call God. I didn't know that. No diet club, and certainly not having your jaw wide shut, tells you that. Nowhere does it tell you that. I didn't know that it was to discover and establish a conscious relationship with a power greater than ourselves. There's an old AA speaker who's passed away now, Sandy B, Sandy Beach, and he always used to talk about either have conscious contact or conscious separation. Today, even if I'm separated for a nanosecond, I pick up the phone. I have relationships in these rooms with people who really know me. I didn't know that I would get help from working these steps to improve my conscious contact with a power greater than myself. I didn't have a problem with God. In fact, on Sunday nights, wow, did we yuck it up. We had big chats on Sunday nights, sitting there with my vision boards. I used to love to make vision boards. It's about creative as I ever got. But I had a, I had a lot of demands, a lot of demands. Today, my life doesn't work that way, right? Because in the morning when I wake up, like I did this morning at 4.30, I read on awakening, Susan, let's have a think about your 24 hours ahead and consider our plans for the day because they might not always go the way I want. And more than anything, I need to ask God to direct my thinking. And what I asked for this morning was to be helpful and useful to others, which I do ask for most mornings. Not most, I do, every single day. So fast forward, and after two years of working with Bonnie, I found a sponsor here who I worked with for 10 years, Maxine R. You can find bits about her in, if you read the story, the stories in Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. I got to be in meetings with Roseanne. I've done it all. But none of those things helped me stay stopped. None of those celebrities can help me stay stopped. And if you ever come to Los Angeles, I'll take you to an AA meeting where there are many celebrities, right? 
So I don't put anybody here on a higher plane. Nobody here walks on water because I've seen the Academy Award winners, the politicians, all of these people in open AA meetings. This is a level playing ground. It's a level playing ground. So I went on my way and I really delved into this big book with Maxine to procure the personality change which is promised, right? an entire psychic change. And I definitely spiritually awakened. I didn't have a big moment like Bill did. And immediately I got to work helping others. Harlan came here probably about 15 years ago and I got to hear a different way of going through the book. All of a sudden I hear about this man called Herb Kay. And I've now done three of his workshops. Try sitting in a room with 200 addicts from all walks of the, the illnesses that qualify for being in these rooms, teaches you a lot of love and tolerance. I, the biggest problem that kept me out of these rooms was that second part of step one, because I was so righteous and I just couldn't see that my life was unmanageable, right? People send holiday cards, Instagram posts. Those aren't the truth, right? Nobody could tell of the loneliness right, and the despair, and he stood in front of it, right, it doesn't say, as Harlan always says, it doesn't say I was thirsty, it says I was very lonely. So I got to work on these steps, and oh, walking towards that step four, I thought, okay, I, I can still wait until they hear what my stepmom did to me, what this, what that, this is going to be good, Susan Green, you've got this, this is probably your way out. Terminally unique, the snowflake that doesn't melt. That didn't happen. But suddenly you give me this other column. I have to say my part. Oh, golly gosh. I will tell you that my, my dad raised us all. My parents got divorced when I was about 13 or 14. My mom was a paranoid schizophrenic. We were the children who were picked up from the school coach with their mother in evening wear, if she remembered to come and get us. I had a very interesting childhood. And again, the dark past can be our greatest possession, which is why I share this with you so, because I've done this today, right? And I made peace. I made peace with her. I hadn't seen her since I was 13 or 14. I even had the experience of her once walking past me on the street. And even today, as I tell you that, here was this woman who I thought I hated. I thought I hated and when I did walk past her on the street, I was still in England. So there was none of this love and tolerance going on. And I can remember going home and crying and being so sad. So I do my fourth and fifth step, get to my defects. Like an old mattress, right? Really, really comfy. That pair of walking or running shoes that you don't want to break in a new pair. And there were certain things I didn't want to let go of. But I suddenly had this, I use the word curiosity, not in a mean way, but to see my mom, to experience who she was, right? So it talks about in step three in the AA 12 and 12, it talks about that door of willingness. And if you hear me speak enough, you always know I say, I always think of Alice in Wonderland peeping through the keyhole. So I had placed in on page 35, once we have placed the key of willingness in the lock and have the door ever so slightly open. So for years, 
my door was just a smidge open. You probably couldn't have seen very much sunlight, but it wasn't locked, right? Because God kept showing up for me, kept on showing up for me, walking me towards this dream life today, which doesn't mean I've won the lottery. I haven't bought a ticket in years, so how can you win if you don't? We find that we can always open it some more. And then it goes on to say, it will always respond the moment we again pick up the key of willingness. So I was going on a trip to England and I had a way to reach out to my mom and I did. And I saw her a few times and it was a little different. I'm not going to tell you. It was very strange to feel close to home, very close to my dad. I have been since the day I was born and I have a beautiful relationship with him today. And other than being a regular teenager, I have apologized for all those screaming fits and the lying and everything else. And my mom lived a very, very sad life. She became a hoarder. She was morbidly obese. She wasn't great at taking her meds. And probably now, close to four or five years ago, I received a call from my dad. I was actually at work that my mom had passed away. And I never, ever would have thought I would have had a feeling or an emotion. But again, thoroughly working these steps, having no lurking notion, my heart has been rewired. I had no barbed wire around my heart when it came to my mom. None. She died alone. And part of it was from this illness. A social worker found her four days later. She was morbidly obese, living in a house that was just, my sister said was indescribable. And my two siblings from that marriage did go to the wedding. I, I mean, the wedding, oh my God, I'm so sorry, to the funeral. I did not go, but we, we did what we needed to do. And again, that's the miracle of working these steps, right? That's the result of working these principles in all my affairs, right? Working with others just doesn't mean all of you. I have to take this out. I carry the message, not the alcoholic, but I can't just do it with all of you and be another way on the outside. So I don't have my program and my life. I don't have my, I did this all today. That's great. There's the list. This is a design for living which works. This is what I do. This is what I do. I get up. I pray. I meditate. I work with others. I have an incredible life today because I continue to do this work. I can look at the world, the world in the eye. I can be alone at perfect peace and ease. It tells me when I'm going to do my fifth step that I'm going to do that on page 75, that my fears will fall from me, and they did. Now we begin to have a spiritual experience, and that resides in my heart. It resides in yours. As most of you know, and some of you will know my voice, and I won't have met you, I am in favor of service, of great service. And that's why when, you know, Leah asked me to do this, okay, I have to be up at 4.30. Three weeks ago for the birthday party, two days, I was up at 4 a.m. with my friend Lindsay, who was visiting me from Houston, and my house was full again. The spiritual life is not a theory. Page 83, we have to live it. And that's what we're doing. So when people call me and they say, hi, just making a call. You don't need to call me back. It's just one of my calls. Okay. Well, I do call you back. 
because I'd like to keep you in this lifeboat with me. I can't afford for you just to make a call and drop off. I need to be here. I would be useless on your road team, so I need some strong rowers. But I learned in the very beginning to get in the center of the herd. Bonnie told me that the, the animals who run on the outside, they're the ones who get bitten off, and that's the fatality of this. I know very clearly what will happen to me if I start doing my program and my life. Everyone in my life knows how I live my life. Not everybody in my office, but again, I reveal myself if it is helpful. I can tell anybody what I do. I have a friend at work who I did tell. If you got it, you spot it. I knew the day I started this new job. By the way, I left a job after 13 years. God showed me something else. I was a little bit, just a little bit stagnant there. And one day something happened. And again, God will reveal more to you if you keep on doing the work. Where I can never get off the staircase. I can never get off the staircase of these steps. And sometimes I can be in step one. There are things I don't want to admit that I'm powerless of. If I continue to improve and practice in 10, 11, and 12, I'm going to intuitively know situations that used to baffle me. And if I don't, I just can go anywhere in my phone. And there's literally hundreds of people I can call. I am one who, and I say this with caution, I'm grateful for the last couple of years that we have had as a community, not for what's gone on outside in the world. Of course, that is horrible. Look at all these places we have been. When was I going to speak at a meeting in Poland? Really? It wasn't going to happen. Even if I was going to England, I was not hopping over to Poland. It wasn't going to happen. When was it going to be that at the birthday party we could have speakers from all over the world? Poland, Spain, Colombia, England, Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Israel. There were people from all over the world. This was a gift of God to OA. So I continue to do what I do because I know I know, well, first of all, I know because it tells me what will happen if I don't do, if I don't do this. I know, hold on, these are all the pages that are falling out of my book. Um, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. They're very specific with their words because you can help when no one else can. I go to meetings to identify. I go to meetings to share hope, to remember where I've been, where I am today, and where I haven't been yet. Those gates of insanity and hell are always open. The membership is never, ever full. I drive into them. They look stunning. No weeds. Best kept gardens in Beverly Hills. When you get to the top, right, you start to chug. Because on the other end, there it is, that bitter morass one more time, and that quicksand would swallow me up in, less, in minus zero, in minus zero. I don't want to have people yelling things out car windows again to me. I don't want to have to lie when somebody actually asked me if I was pregnant, because in the 80s, all the big girl dresses kind of were very blousey. 
and I lied one time. I never wore that dress again, I will tell you that. I don't want to live that life. That is not a dream. Today I live peacefully because it tells me it works, it really does, but I have to have done the work. I have to have experienced the pain. I can't have done it for you. And being with others, it tells me that I'm not going to want to miss it. I do not like to miss a good party. Trust me, I am the last one on the dance floor. If I come to your wedding, I'll keep it going. And it is the bright spot in my life. People all around me are dying. They are. I see it all the time. There are some men in this program who are in my fellowship who do sober eating men's table. And there are two men who they visited in hospitals who died. There's somebody who I know in our rooms, you know, who used to come and he used to come with a walker. And I was so happy when he came and he couldn't get up these two little steps with his walker and the guys would help him in. His 30-day chip, he couldn't come to the front of the room. I happened to be the chip chick at the time. And I remember walking to him. And his 60-day chip, he could walk to the front of the room. I didn't see him for a year because I, I moved 10 miles. So I'm now in another intergroup. It's kind of silly. And I asked about him. And he couldn't see our way of life like it says. And he died. And he died leaving behind a family and children. I don't want to tell, be that statistic. I don't want my dad to have to say, my daughter died of morbid obesity. My dad is so proud of the woman that I am today. When I got my new job two years ago, he would tell people and cry. <laughs> oh my God. He is my biggest cheerleader. And if somebody ever complains about their weight, he, he's been to meetings, he'll give me my candles. You should talk to Susan. You should talk to Susan. She goes to these meetings, but just look, she looks marvelous. She looks marvelous. And that's what I have here today. I have the support of my family. Can I guarantee that everybody in the world is going to like me? No, I'm not sure why they don't, but they don't. So today, this is what my life looks like. This is living the dream. I didn't get thin and meet the man of my dreams. I've met several of them. The position is still open. <laughs> I have a job that is incredible today at the top of the level of what I do. I have no wreckage with my family. Do we snap at each other? Absolutely. When my dad calls me, your sister this, your sister that, I just go, huh, I don't know. I used to get into it with him. Oh, it was such a good fest to have a gossip about her because, you know, I, I need to be numero uno, right? It is not the matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. That's what it says in working with others. So I don't keep knocking loudly at people's doors who don't want this today, right? You heard all those soft taps that came to my door, right? From Stacy, who I can't wait to meet in person, from Annie at work, from people who I met on the streets here, literally in the 12-step rooms, God has constantly been doing for me what I could never and will never be able to do for myself. So in closing, I feel like I have not stopped talking, which I haven't. One of my favorite chapters in the back of the book is The Keys of the Kingdom. 
And just a few little quotes from here. It says on page 275, I began to acquire faith and a philosophy to live by. Further down, AA slash OA is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. So there is no page with a food plan on. As arrested alcoholics, we must have a program for living that allows for limitless expansion. This broad highway, these walls, they just keep on going and growing. The gates of insanity and hell, that's a cell. Those walls do not expand. They close in around me. I have the experience. I have the evidence that this works. A complete change takes place in our approach to life. Steps four through nine, right? I start to open my eyes, uncover, discover, discard. I got a new pair of glasses. And it says, I've had my share of problems, heartaches, and disappointments because that is life page 276, but also I've known a great deal of joy and a peace that is the handmaiden of an inner freedom. Today, I feel free. I don't feel locked into a food plan to this, to I have to do this. I get to do this. I finally heard that invitation and I took the hand. I have a wealth of friends and with my OA friends, an unusual quality of fellowship. I've had some of you come and stay in my home who I never met in person over the last two years. And it's just been family coming to stay. And because of Zoom, you've gone, oh, I know my way around. I know where these pictures are. I know what's going on in your house. So we join together, it says, paraphrasing, through mutual pain and despair, and later through mutual objectives and newfound faith and hope. If you are suffering today, I, I hope that you stay on the line. I hope that you ask the question. Don't ask me a question about my food. Go to a nutritionist for that. But I hope that I have given you hope to know that this way of life is available and it has its advantages for all. It has transformed my family. My nephew has never known me any other way. He's now 22. My sister at one point, which probably wasn't good, didn't last for long, she used to commit her food to me. And he would always say before she started eating, did you commit your OZs to auntie? Your ounces, we say OZs. Um, anyway, so here we are through mutual pain. And as the years go by, working together, sharing our experiences with one another, and also sharing a mutual trust, understanding and love without strings, without obligations. Do I give back what I've graciously been given by the service? Absolutely. But do I donate to the seventh tradition? Absolutely I do, because I need a way to keep going. Who's going to print those pamphlets? Who's going to put up on a screen those 15 questions that somebody who doesn't know if they belong here can read? Who's going to pay for this phone line? So I give back because I need it to keep on going. And here I'll leave you with this. There is no more aloneness with that awful ache so deep in the heart of every alcoholic that nothing before could ever reach it. No jaw being wired shut, no nothing, no men, no nothing could ever reach it. 
The relationship that I have with the God of my understanding was the only one that could reach this and continues to every day. That ache is gone and never need return again. Contingent, right? Contingent on that I got spiritually fit, that I went into my spiritual gym this morning and warmed up my heart to be here with you. Now there is a sense of belonging, of being wanted and needed and loved. In return for bakery bags and boxes and a hangover, we have been given the keys of the kingdom. I am eternally grateful to Overeats Anonymous, to all of you. It is a joy and a pleasure to trudge this path with you. And I will never be able to pay back enough. So thank you so much. And thank you again, Leah, for the privilege of speaking here today. And thank you, Susan, for this beautiful presentation and message of hope and possibility. Thank you so very much for sharing what you used to be like, what happened, and what you're like today as a result of our 12-step program of recovery. Thank you. Such a helpful and useful presentation indeed. Today's share ID, 18,483. That's 18483. Susan's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question-answer segment. You can pose a question, questions only, to Susan by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Tammy M. Tammy. Harlan G. Hey, Harlan. Hey, ma'am. Anyone else? Start one time. Noel E. What's your first name? Noel E. Noel. Noel. Thank you. Melissa C. Good morning, Melissa. Thank you. Jen A. And Jen. Okay. That's a group. Let's stop there. We've got Tammy M., Harlan G., Noel E., Melissa C., and Jen A., Let's begin with Tammy M, please. Hi, Susan. I just have a really quick question. Um, I've been meditating uh, uh, to God the last God all weekend, and um, you talked about like lying a lot about lying to uh, lies, and I had I just been wondering like to myself like Gosh, am I lying to myself and how does one figure that out? Hi, Tammy. Um, thank you for the question. Can you, I mean, lying about, can you give something um, specific? Um, about food intake or, yeah, food intake. I'm like, I don't know if I'm lying to myself or, and I've been just trying to figure that out. Okay. so. I know when I am and I know when I'm not. So for me, I eat a way to measured food plan. So if I'm eating within those confines, I'm not lying. Um, if I'm having a bit here, or as I would say, a pick and lick while I'm cooking, I'm not being entirely honest. So only you know, it's between you and God, and then perhaps speak to your sponsor. I don't want to, you know, 
speak too much about that, but it's very uncomfortable when I tell a little fib and the food can creep up on you. And I will just say that in my experience, when this happens, it's normally something else going on before the food. The bite is the last thing to come. So I don't know where you are in the steps, how much you talk to your sponsor, but you might just want to look at some of those things first. And if you do put your food on a scale, or however you do it, but one plate, whatever people do, you either are or you aren't, right? So I'm not sure that that's very helpful, but it's a little bit of a tricky question because, you know, I don't want to say to you, yes, you're lying. <laughs> that's between you and God and your sponsor, the committee of three. Thank you, Tammy M., for your question. Harlan G., you're up. Is that me? Okay. In, Thanks, yes. Leah. All right. Susan, you have been a bastion of service, and you have been a whirlwind of innovation in the OA program. You have done something that was unprecedented two years ago when you brought an impactful uh, birthday party, which I'm an advocate of the OA birthday party. For those who may not know, that's in January and it is a fabulous convention, and you did something unprecedented by bringing it to us in Zoom form rather than in form of being there in Los Angeles. Could you talk to us for just a minute about how you motivate yourself to continue to be in the middle of the pack when you've done such a massive amount of service? How do you fend off that temptation to close the door and say, I've done this, this, and this, you guys take over from now, but you continue to be at the forefront of service. And I'm not even going to ask what a pick and lick is. I'm just going to figure that one out for myself. But uh, could you talk to us about how you motivate yourself to do such amazing service for so many of us? Thank you. Thank you, Harlan. Um, basically, I have to. And it tells me throughout the book, it's just another way of giving this away. And it isn't about me chairing the birthday party and wow, it's about let's look around, see who can get on this train with me, knowing where people's strengths and weaknesses are. And I love this community. I love this fellowship. I love the joy. I love the laughter. And I saw on Zoom a way to reach people who would never be able to come here. You know, people who live on fixed incomes, people, you know, who are handicapped. There's so many things. And it says, the joy of living is the theme of AA's 12th step and action is its key word. Here we experience the kind of giving that asks no rewards. My heart is ready to explode once we start that day with excitement. The LA Intergroup hasn't asked me not to do it again. <laughs> I know nobody else wants to do it but I continue to populate my village with others, right? So other people are opening meetings, you're hearing other voices. And we really needed that two years ago. We really, really needed to feel the hope. People were feeling sad, depressed, and I was Zooming all over the world and I just saw a way to have one big party and celebration. So I stay motivated because like I've told everybody my story, I can't. I can't stop. And it's also really good to stay out of unselfishness and love and tolerance for others. And again, it's 
the least I can do for OA. It really, really is. And if one, only one person out of the 1,800 people who came heard something, then we did our job and God will do the rest. So thank you, Harlan. Thanks, Harlan. Noel E., your turn, star one to unmute. Hi, this is Noel E. Oh, thank you, Susan, so much for your service. Um, you said at the end that you were getting spiritually warm in the morning before you did anything. And I was, right now I'm running in 40-degree weather, so I'm getting spiritually warm by your service and then also trying to get myself warm. Um, I, uh, I, on February 9th, uh, will be at my job 13 years. And I, in the last two weeks, been interviewing to leave it and go somewhere else um, after a lot of listening um, and God showing me the way. And I just was curious of your ESH on on that experience and, um, yeah, just to hear more about it. Thank you again. Sure. Thank you. Um, I... First of all, do your resume, get on LinkedIn, outside issues, do that. <laughs> um, God, God spoke to me one more time. I had been at this job. I was very, very comfortable. I stay at my job for a long time. The job before that, I was at seven years. And I'm not really at a point in my life where I wanted to not make new friends, because I love new friends, but starting over with somebody else. You know, you, you get to know someone and all of their things. So again, I had to sit quietly with God. And I couldn't be reactive. Something did happen at work that I thought, oh, that is it. I am done. This time it was more, you know what, Susan? You're not going to get what you want here. And let's look at this. You are a little bit bored. So I started on my journey. I discussed it with my sponsor. I looked at the pros and cons of what this would really mean, looking for a new job, because it would be tenfold of the one I had going to the next level. Was I willing to do that? And yes, I was. And again, here was God. I've never gotten any of my jobs through an employment agency other than this one. They've always been through word of mouth. And, you know, again, having no wreckage, I was able to call a boss, by the way, of 20 years ago who gave me a reference. Um, so at the suggestion of a good friend, because I listened to suggestions today, listened for that invitation, I called this employment agency that I actually knew who they were, and they called me in right away, and I will tell you there was that little voice in my head, here we go, here we go, nothing will come of it, and suddenly I'm sitting down and I'm signing an NDA, and I'm this, this, and this, and then a four-month process began of interviewing. And I needed a lot of God and a lot of help from all of you because I hadn't interviewed for a long time and it's very different today. And there were meetings with people in New York and this, this, and this. And my current boss canceled on me three times. They like somebody else more than me is what my head told me. And all of you told me just to sit. God's delay is not his denial. And that was true. And then... You know, I have this job and it is incredible and it has stretched me and I get to travel. I go to New York and when I'm in New York, I start the early vision for you <laughs> meeting in my hotel room and then I walk down Sixth Avenue for the second half. So I would just say again, 
take it to God, take it to your sponsor, write down the pros and cons, you know, look, I have to always be realistic. And I will tell you that one thing that really does matter to me today is how will my meetings work into this, my sponsee calls, I look at all of that. Because again, this isn't an adjunct to my life. So everything has to fit into place. I can't have any missing pieces in this puzzle. So God is the centerpiece in my puzzle and I build it out from there, right? There's my village. So I hope that helps. And you can always call me if you want to discuss it more off the line. Thanks, Noelle E., for your question. Melissa C., your turn. Hey, good morning. Thank you, Leah, so much for your service. And thank you, Susan, my my loving sister in this program. I just love hearing you. And, um, you know, you just do service, like, beautifully without missing a beat. And I know um, that you have a way of, like, in pulling other people in so that they're a part of it and not just standing on the outside watching you give service. And I just was wondering what, you know, how do you help sponsees um, take on, you know, um, giving service in this program? Because I know the answer is to be other-centered, and, it's, and, and that's an area I think sometimes new people kind of struggle with when they don't have, you know, um, a lot of uh, long-term success. And um, so I was just wondering what you could offer for for those. Thanks, Susan. Thank you, Melissa. Um, So when I first speak to somebody to sponsor them, you know, I have to make sure that we're going to be aligned, first of all, time-wise, this, this, and this, certain time zones don't work. And I tell them what I do. And I tell them that those are the things, again, that have not helped me stay on a diet, but all of these things that I do help me spiritually awaken to continue to have and hold on to that entire psychic change a day at a time. And one of them is the relationships in these rooms. And something I've done, I sponsored very differently how I did on day one, which I always say if I sponsored you way back 20 years ago, oh my God, I would have run for the hills too because I just thought I'm thin. Why would all these girls who aren't not want me to sponsor them? What little did I know? Um, I tell them what I do, and immediately it's about helping others, that they are qualified to make a phone call to help somebody else. Right? Evie didn't have very much time when he went to help Bill. So I will suggest making phone calls, and if somebody is nervous, I'll say, be specific about something. Or if we're on a meeting together, call so-and-so. If it's one of my sponsees who have experience, I know I have carte blanche to break their anonymity and say, call Mary Jane. She's had experience with this. You can tell her I told you. If there is a lot of resistance, you know, I, I have to trust that God will help them find their way. I have to trust that God will have a bigger and a better plan. And I can't micromanage. You know, when we used to be in meetings in person, I can't tell you I didn't look to the door and think, hmm, already doing the first reading. Where were you? 7.30 in the morning. That's my home meeting that I go to on Sunday mornings. But you know what? Somebody's baby could have been crying, could have been an accident on the freeway. But again, I try and show them, right? Because it tells me to show others how I've recovered, what I do. 
So by being of service, if they are involved in something that they do, I encourage people to be delegates, which is service, I think everybody calls it a delegate, um, meeting representative, just a way to get rid of the shyness. And pick up that phone. I know it's the tools are suggested, but texting outreach doesn't work for me. And I am very clear on telling my sponsees that. And if any of them are here, I know that they're nodding. And I know that from this, the result is that they too have beautiful relationships. I always say that person on the other end of the phone could end up being your best friend. So thank you, Melissa. Thanks, Melissa. Jen A, your turn. Good morning. Thank you, Leah, so much um, for this presentation this morning and for making the meeting possible in the special edition. And thanks, Susan, um, for coming all the way in the bright and or the dark morning um, from LA. Um, living the dream. You're living the dream, sister. And I'm so grateful um, that you're no longer on the losing team, that you're on the dream team. And I love what you shared this morning about being on the bench of recovery, side by side in Overeaters Anonymous, wearing the same jersey with the same patch that says OA. That's what we're doing here. Um, what I wanted to hear from you, and um, I guess I'm just curious, is, is the God part in your life. Um, you know, I hear you saying God, relying on God, leaning into God. Um, but I didn't hear that there was this big dramatic, like, I had to figure out who God was. And, you know, I get these calls all the time and people are like, how do I know how to find a higher power and a God and a this and a that? And so I'm just wondering if you can elaborate for myself and those on the line, how you found God, what God looked like to you um, prior and, and what God looks like to you today. Because I know your God is big. I hear you referencing God, turning to God, spending time with God in the spiritual gym this morning. So that's my question for you. Thanks. Thank you, Jen. I feel like I'm on Wheel of Fortune. All my friends are coming on to spin the wheel. Um, so, you know, I was raised with a lot of traditions. Um, and this is not about religion here at all. So if you are new, do not be scared by the God name. There's a whole chapter, chapter four, called We Agnostics, that talks about all kinds of different words that you can use for God. And, you know, I never thought about it very much. We had traditions in our house. I would get new dresses on certain holidays, and I'm all about that. So that was great. And then, like I said, standing in my kitchen in my townhouse in Encino on that Sunday night, well, even before then, actually, in Heathrow Airport, you know, I felt that ripple, that something happened in my body. And God revealed himself to me. You know, I had to be crushed. And you can hear, or I don't even remember what I said today. Um, it took a long time for me to be crushed by that self-imposed crisis. And I had to fearlessly face that proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. So first of all, I had to just discontinue my Sunday night relationship with him. I had to realize that I could take him all through the day with me, right? That when I was in doubt, I was going to ask for help. Because if I'm going to be rid of those bedevilments, and those 32 pages later, I'm going to be at step 10, right? It's going to tell me that I've entered the world of the spirit. And then it tells me how I'm going to continue to work here. I already know that we are commencing shoulder to shoulder. So I read this every day. 
and I take God with me because it says I can ask God for inspiration, intuitive thought or decision. It doesn't say just in the morning, just in the morning. It says we usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we've shown all through the day. God is the only person who comes with me to work, who comes with me outside when I take the rubbish out, who goes with me to the dry cleaners. God is my BFF. And I'm not meaning to sound like a holy role or anything, right? So God resides in my heart for me. And it's just formed in a way that I never, ever thought, because I did. I thought that God was somebody who you took your hopes and dreams to. And you just prayed that maybe one day you'll get just a little taste of that. Just a little bit. Instead of poor me, it never, ever happens to me. It never, ever happens to me. So I have become much more efficient. And I'm in much less danger of many, many things in my life. So, you know, it's ever, ever evolving, but I trust in God today. And all of my decisions are God-inspired. And, you know, and you're the one who always says, I take it to that committee of three. Well, that would have been me, myself, and I. But now it isn't. So it's me, God, and whoever I can get on the phone. And sometimes... It isn't always the person I expect to get on the phone, right? I can call a lot of my friends and they don't pick up and then somebody randomly makes a call to me and God has sent them along to me. So I don't know how concisely I answered that, but that was the answer. Thanks, Jen, for your question. We can take one more question before we close this morning. Anyone else? Brenda A., New York. Okay, Brenda, go ahead with your question. Uh, thank you. Um, thank you all for your service and Susan for having me feel a part of uh, other than apart from. My question is, um, I recently relapsed. I am reworking the steps and my former sponsees who are now all part of my God squad have come up with the question, can I still call you? Can I still speak with you? And um, that's my question. Of course, I speak with them. But do I encourage them, as I have, to find new sponsors? Thank you, Brenda, for the question. Um, in my humble opinion, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I cannot give what I don't have to give away. Um, can you stop fiddling with the dishes for one second, Brenda? Thank you. I, I, that's fine. Oh, oh, sorry. Someone's unmuted. There was some kind of dishes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't give what I don't have, and you have to get yourself spiritually fit again. So, of course, they're fellows, they're friends. It tells us that in the book, right? It talks about in working with others. We are friends. So, yes, yes. And if those people are on the line, get a sponsor today. Get one in the next hour doesn't mean that Brenda will never sponsor again because she absolutely will. But you can't give what you don't have and absolutely, you're in a fellowship with them. They're part of your herd. Of course you speak to them. We don't shut the door on people. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Brenda, for your question. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And of course, thank you, 
Susan, for transmitting a message of depth and weight to all of us this morning. Greatly appreciate your service to us and to the OA community at large. The share ID for today's presentation, 18,483. That's 18483. And we're going to close now from page 164 from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.